Hello and welcome to the Behind the Bra podcast brought to you by Barbells for Boobs, where we strive to redefine the standard of care and breast health and improve the quality of life post-diagnosis. I am your host, Ziana Hansen, and the founder of this incredible organization. Thank you for tuning in. Today we have a pretty special episode coming for you. Um, I am sitting here with my very dear sister, Charlene Puga. Hi, Charlene. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm very good. Very good. Looking forward to this. We've been trying to make it happen for a few months and excited to be here. Awesome. Um, I usually introduce um, people with like a few different titles. Your title is just my sister. So sorry, I didn't like really throw out this list of all her accolades big but sis big she's sis. my she is my big sis she's a mom of a 20 how old is Sam 22? 22 and a seven-year-old and a seven-year-old yep. we can talk about that later apart. it's a whole nother podcast <laughs> um and she's also um a she's also very involved at barbells for boobs for yes. multiple multiple layers of reasons but um we are today going to share our sister's story, Jenny. Yes, our co-survivor story. Our co-survivor story. And we'll talk about the word co-survivor um, in, in this episode uh, because I think that it's a it's an interesting word and identification. And I've really struggled with it um, in the past year or so. So yes. I, I think it's a really interesting topic to talk about. But before we start, have you ever been on a podcast? No, this is my first one. Oh! Oh, yeah, uh, I know. I feel like I have so much experience because I've been able to listen to all the other ones of all the lovely ladies and the other first co-survivor, whoever was on ours, which is Joe Herrera. That yes. was really good. And so I'm just hoping you don't ask me that dreadful question of, so so who are you? Or what do you, <laughs> like, t- who are you? What, what, what's your background? Where'd you who come from? You? I know who you are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. obviously our listeners may not know who you are. So if you want to give a little background on yourself and anything that you may want the listeners to know about you before we dive into our beautiful sister's story. Um, I'll just give a little brief um, kind of our growing up because I think that's what people I I love hearing like I'm from Korea or Iraq. I'm like, wow, it's so cool. So we had like four places we grew up. We were mostly all of us were born in East L.A. So West Covina, um, I was born in West Covina. I was born in Arcadia. And then from East LA, our parents went to Armagosa, which Mm -hmm. is where California and Nevada meet. So people don't know that about you. And then from there, we went to Hesperia, which is the, they call it like the valley, um, the Armagosa Valley. It's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, middle BF. Especially in 1986. There wasn't much happening in Hesperia, California. Yes. And then through our teens, we ended up in Long Beach, which is, of course, Our favorite city in the entire (laughs) world, the best city in the entire world. That's a little brief of like where our little roots kind of landed, desert to the city, the urban life. Definitely desert rats. Um, Didn't realize that until I went back to the desert and I was like, (laughs) this is how we grew up? Yes. There's nothing out here. What do we do? (laughs) We built a lot of forts. Built a lot of forts. A lot of motorcycle accidents. Yes. A lot of rock throwing. Yeah. BB BB guns. guns. BB guns. BB guns. Our brothers used to shoot us with BB guns. They didn't shoot me. They shot yeah, mostly me and my feet. They, they were nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was the youngest for a, for a little while. Yeah. Till the mistake came. <laughs> right, right. 
And that's kind of like how Ginny kind of fits in the story. So our parents, yes. our mo- mom and dad. So hold on before we dive into this. Okay. Because I want I want to be very mindful about the story we're about to share. Because if you're listening to this podcast and you are not emotionally ready to hear a story of loss, if you are not ready to hear what the end of someone's life looks like or sounds like or feels like, I'm just going to put a disclaimer out right now. Maybe maybe you should wait on this podcast and listen to it when you're ready. So I just kind of want to make sure that we cover that because I know that that's a very sensitive topic, but I do want to share Jenny's story because I think it's so important for us to talk about what breast cancer can do to women if it's not caught in time and if it's not, um, you know, if it's just not managed well, which I feel like Jenny's case is a prime example of it not being managed well. Um, but I, I, I did want to just put a disclaimer out there because yeah. And I mean, We've been talking about this podcast since the podcast launched since October and it's February. So this is how hard <laughs> this podcast. I mean, I, I'm like sweating right now because I'm just like, I feel like I'm still grieving. It's going to be two years that we've lost Jenny and this is, it's hard to talk about it. You know, it's just hard still. Yeah. So I do feel like I'm, I'm finally getting out of the clouds. Like I feel like I was in, it was just, life was really hazy for the last few years. But one of the things that I did, I have learned in my life here at Barbell Shaboobs, I heard a speaker once at the YSC Summit and she she runs a rag company. <laughs> what I mean by that, like do rags for your hair, <laughs> for your head after your head is shaved <laughs> um, for treatment. And so she shared her story at the YSC Summit and it was like so impactful to me because I had, it was like really the first time I'd really learned about stage four breast cancer. And she said that, you know, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, her first diagnosis, it was stage two, she battled it. And she was inspired after she became cancer free to start her own nonprofit. And I, I forgot the name of the organization, but what she does is has, she sends out do rags for women that have notes in it from whoever wore it last. So they they send their rags Aww. back in when their hair grows back and they write a letter of kind of what stage they were in and what to expect and and so then they then they send it back and then she'll send it to the next anybody that's requesting a scarf. Um, wow. and I think that she tries to match it up with the stage and possibly the treatment. I'm not really sure of the detail. So she's like I'm running this company and then she gets another her second diagnosis of stage 4 breast cancer. And she really spoke to us about stage four. Like that was the day that I learned that breast cancer doesn't um, doesn't actually end a woman's life. It's once that once breast cancer leaves the breast. So she's definitely my ed- she was an educator for me that day. I was so naive to stage four, and um, I want to say a month after I saw her speak is when Jenny was diagnosed. So. It, it was almost like I was meant to listen to her and hear her story. But she had said that um, before she was diagnosed with stage four, she had a, a woman come up to her at, a, at an event and she was a vendor there. And um, the woman asked if she could donate her daughter's scarf with her daughter's story in it. And she was like, well, where's your daughter? And she's like, well, I lost her. But I think her story is really important and I think it needs to be passed on. And she took it politely um, and she never sent it to a woman. And she said, I didn't want to ever send a note to a woman about death. Right. Um, And once she then had a stage four diagnosis, she was like, 
we need to talk about this. And she compared it to when, when we first started talking about AIDS, how it was like, we're going to talk about this. And the way that we spoke about AIDS in the eighties was we were showing people dying. And she's like, for whatever reason in breast cancer, we don't ever show the death of it. You know, like that women are dying from breast cancer. And so I literally heard this speech and heard her talk about this a, a month or two before Jenny was diagnosed. So, wow. um, so I just wanted to kind of, now we had that. Yes. Phew, that's yeah. out there. That's there. I'm so glad you did that. Yes. That's what we're about to talk about. So yes. if you're not ready, go somewhere. Pause. Else. Pause. Pause this right pause now. And just back. pause and come back. Pause go come listen back. to like Rachel Hollis or Dave Ramsey or somebody. <laughs> it's a little bit more inspirational than me. You know? <laughs> Oh, stop it. Um, so go ahead. Yes. So Jenny, El Monte. We have <laughs> our parents. So we have five, um, five of us from our mom and dad. We're blood uh, brothers and sisters. There's three of us girls at same mom, same dad. And then when our parents divorced after 14 years, my mom moved on and had two more girls. So we have two sisters that are half sisters with same mom, different dad. And then my dad moved in and moved on with another woman and she had three daughters and so Jenny was our stepsister so then we have so two half sisters two real sisters and three stepsisters yes but the most interesting part about Jenny being our stepsister is I've known Jenny my entire life because Jenny lived right across our doorsteps so she was her mom was our neighbor and I would say our mom's friend just say it. Our dad left our mom for <laughs> her friend. For our, our next door neighbor. Our next door neighbor. <laughs> Not like a family secret. Um, <laughs> so there's so we've that. known Jenny <laughs> forever. And our other sisters most of our life. But we just probably didn't see them for five or six years. Um, so they were yeah. friends and then they become sisters. Yes. <laughs> sisters. Yes. So that's a brief on Jenny. So yes. once my so so once our dad uh, remarried, not even I don't know they never got married. Whatever I think it was like state. Whenever they, were they got together, um, we all eventually moved to Long Beach, and we all ended up with my our dad. And Jenny was there, and so we lived in Long Beach. We grew up we grew up in Long Beach with Jenny in the same room. How many of us was in one yes, room? So there was. Marty's three daughters, so our three stepsisters, uh, Nicole, Stephanie, Stephanie and Jenny. Jenny. Then there was us three girls, Sandra, um, Sandra Z, and Char. So there were six girls in and one bedroom was, with three sets of bunk beds. There was Ryan, too, Nicole's son. Yeah. That he stayed Ryan, in the playpen yeah. in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one of the daughters had a son. Yeah. So yes. it was a busy bedroom. <laughs> busy. Insane. To say we weren't close is the under, <laughs> understatement. <laughs> But Jenny, sure. no, we didn't have three bunk beds because Jenny needed to have a day bed. And so Jenny, that's had, Jenny right. had a day that's bed. Right. She had the day bed right in the corner by the window. Yes. That's right. Yes. yes. So some of the things that we want to kind of share with Jenny and who she was as a person growing up. And um, Jenny had a few disabilities that I maybe didn't understand as a young kid. I totally understand it now because my son has learning disabilities. And so I feel like I was meant to have Jenny in my life just to be exposed to it and like learn from her. And I just always thought she was super 
weird special <laughs> super weird I, I i feel bad because i i don't think i ever made fun of her but i remember friends being over and asking like what's wrong with her why is she playing with barbies when she's 16 and me just saying oh just ignore her you know instead of like explaining cuz no one really explained it to me i didn't know you know so she was born with spinal meningitis and, and cerebral palsy yeah so those were her two big disabilities And and when I say that, I thought that she was just weird, which I at that time and I still think that weird people are the best people in the world because I feel like I'm kind of weird. And so the fact that my 16 year old stepsister wanted to play dolls with me was like, yeah, this is awesome. Awesome. Like, it's great. Like, let's play dolls. Like, so when I say that she was weird was that she walked in her own. She was walking her own path. She did her own thing. She didn't hear. She didn't care what anybody thought of her. And she would let you know in a heartbeat how she felt about you. Yes. Which she was very blunt, very to the point, very matter of fact. And if you were in her way, she was going to make sure that she did whatever she could to get you out of her way. (laughs) Yes. Basically. (laughs) Yes. And she loved hard. Loved Loved hard. hard. I mean, anything, if she loved you, if she loved her job, I mean, you had all of Jenny. Yeah. 100% commitments. And so with with those disabilities, you know, every doctor or every, you know, psychologist or teacher is like, oh, you're not going to graduate from junior high or oh, you're not going to graduate from high school or oh, you'll never have a job. You'll be on Social Security your whole life. Or you'll never you'll never live on your own. You don't have the ability to live on your own. And. She, she did all of it. proved everyone <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Everybody. She graduated from high school. She went, I think Home Depot was um, hiring a lot of job. disabled people. Mm-hmm. And she, her Home Depot was her first job. She thinks she stayed there for 10 years. And then she went on. She loved, loved working with disabled people. Mm-hmm. And then that's when um, she went to, what is the name over there? I, I feel like the, the proper way is saying people with disabilities, people, people living with, with People, people living, living with, with disabilities. disabilities. Disabled? Oh, you don't say disabled. Uh, you know I what? Don't know. You don't I'm know. sorry. Don't you would think that we would know. You would think that we would know. I've been it. I've been more educated now that I have a son yeah. that has disabilities. But she... It says on her little card. Yeah. Disabled. But, but one of the great things about Jenny was just like, number one, she was always going to... She was always going to, no matter what people told her that she was capable of, she was always going to prove what she knew she was capable of, not what everybody thought she was capable of. And she had so much pride. Like she never took any government funding, funded money. Like she never, she could have been on all kinds of programs and she just refused. She was like, I'm going to work. I'm going to earn my money. I'm going to pay my own rent. I'm going to pay my own bills. And she did just that and she lived so minimal like yeah she had you know it it's unbelievable like how you see somebody really live in their means and you know not live out of their means or beyond their means she never bought a car because she knew she couldn't afford it she took the bus she was so humble she didn't care she's like i can't afford a car so -hmm. she took the bus everywhere she went and it was just amazing you know there was a time where after her mom and our father split that we didn't, you know, get constant contact with her. We still all lived in Long Beach and then you were all over the place. Like you were in New York and Seattle. And, and so there was a time where we didn't, you know, we, we didn't stay in constant contact, you know? So then when we finally were getting really close to her is when, you know, years and years later. Yeah. I wasn't, I mean, I I feel like unfortunately, 
for anybody that's lived in a time where you were an adult and you didn't have social media or cell phone. <laughs> uh, are you talking about us in our so, 40s? if you are above the age of 35, 30, 35. Um, you know, I think that back in the day it was really hard to stay in contact with people. Like, unless yeah. you were, and, and Jenny true. wasn't the type of person that, she she loved phone calls and she would always call on her on birthdays and she always didn't have recognize. A she didn't have a two way. A she, didn't, she didn't have a pager. You know, she lived a very <laughs> humble life. And and I I remember once I got on Facebook, that's when I that's when I got reconnected yeah. with her. Yeah. Um. And so I was like, oh man, Jenny, like I'm. You know, you go on. You graduate from high school and you go to college and you do your own thing. And um, she stayed in Long Beach. Had her own place in Long Beach. And um, at that time, I lived in downtown Long Beach. So we actually did connect. And like, yeah, got to I'd, hang out I'd go visit Snowball and yeah. I'd see her once, once in a while. But that's how I found out she was diagnosed with breast cancer was yeah, on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. But you know what? What, again, what I have learned in this process is that the way that people want to share this news is totally up to that person. And we found right. it through Facebook. It was heart wrenching for us because, um, I, remember hearing that she was stage four and I was just like, really? Yeah. And the reason she was, and she was 43. Yeah. She was 43. What happened is when she was 40, she, she did, um, get a prescription for a mammogram, but her health insurance was switching through her company. So she waited. And mm-hmm. then I guess she waited until she was 42. She was 40. Um, Something no, was, something happened where she either got it when she was she she was supposed to get it when she was forty or forty one is when she she waited and then she switched insurance something like that something happened where she, her company was switching insurances and then she forgot about it and then the doctor reminded her like hey you're forty three and you still haven't got your mammogram mm-hmm. and then and I could see that happening with Jenny because I I think that she just. <laughs> Yeah, she was. If it's not in front of her, yeah, she's and not going to do it. You know, she she didn't know how to advocate for herself. She would advocate for everybody else. Yes, but her advocating for herself and her own needs was, I think, that just wasn't important to her. Well, and also I think that you know, with her other health issues, I don't think she thought she could get anything else. Even for me, I was just like, wow, God, like another thing for Jenny. Like she's been mm-hmm. given so many horrible health conditions like why this now you know and I, I well when I when I first heard it I was number one I was shocked and number two I was like Jenny's gonna be like I got this like right. whatever the doctors tell right. her she's gonna be like that's what you think but this is actually what I'm gonna do <laughs> yeah um and so from there on out Charlene and I went to all of her appointments we went to all of her treatments with her we were right there with her and she was super lucky to have an amazing social worker assigned to her case. Um, we've got to give Holly some props here. Holly Lexington, yes. literally it was, we were the triple threat. If it wasn't me the on the three phone, Jenny angels, yeah, <laughs> me on the phone with somebody with Z or Holly. And honestly, I have such a different level of respect for a co-survivor because I don't know how a husband or a mother or someone could help be by themselves to help somebody because it took us 
us three. three. And if we didn't have us three, sometimes I felt like we needed a fourth person mm-hmm. because there was so much to do. There were so many chemo appointments. There were so many doctor's appointments. There was just so many scans. And, you so know, Jenny didn't have a car, and, yeah. so we had to take her. And, of course, she would be like, oh, no, I'm going to take the bus to chemo. And we're like, no, you are not taking well, the if, bus to chemo. Like if I – so for me, Jenny's treatment plan – you, if you can all imagine, you kind of have to almost pretend. And I think that this, ha- this was a revelation I had during this process was we had to really have the mindset that Jenny was a kid and the way that she was thinking about her cancer was kind of like whatever the doctors want to do. It was almost like speaking to a child. Like yeah. she had such resiliency and kind of almost like completely a non-understanding of what was, what her, what her diagnosis really was. And so when we, when she was diagnosed, it had spread to her bones and her lungs, I Mm -hmm. believe. Just her lung, her lung and her, and her bones. bones. Yeah. And, you know, in in my experience, it was like, okay, and I kept, I remember I kept asking the doctor, like, what does this look like for us? And her medical team was so resistant on actually giving me a straight answer. A timeline. We wanted to know a timeline. And we kept saying, like, we need to, we'd like to know a timeline. I think by the third appointment with her oncologist, Dr. Sonati, Sonati, he finally, like, I think Jenny left the room or she had to go to the bathroom or something. I was like, you wouldn't say in front of Jenny. Yeah, I was like, can you just tell us so we know know. how much, like, what What we're going to do. What you're looking at. And that's when he finally told us two years goes two years. Yeah. Yeah. And to give you a brief like example of like how much Jenny did not understand cancer when she was in her chemo chair one day, Z had given her an iPad and she was so excited and her iPad wasn't working. Something was wrong. It wasn't like she was so upset and she was more upset about her iPad not working than she had ever shown that much emotion or being upset about her diagnosis her of diagnosis. cancer. Yeah. And that was just her mentality of like, you know, she was just going to do everything the doctor said. She was going to listen to what me and Z said. She was like, just tell me what to do, what mm-hmm. pills to take, what shots to do. And she never let it kind of sink in. Yeah. And and maybe she didn't want to. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't really know, but. All that was important to her was that she never wanted to miss a day of work. Yes. And we kept that promise with her. And, and you know, the hardest day for me during the treatment besides, you know, the, her last four weeks, her last four weeks were probably the hardest four weeks of my life. But the hardest day of her treatment was the day that she lost her hair. Yeah. Like, I remember I took her to a treatment and I was like, Jenny, we got to do something. <laughs> about your hair girl yeah. it is a mess it was like she had like patches you know yeah like, she we, already had something. wild hair naturally <laughs> like she had that cur- like fluffy curly and never really cared to brush it like yeah. showered and kind of rinsed, rinsed off yeah, and like, like bed like sometimes like, like she like, just had like wonderful sex or something yeah like, like her hair was like sometimes <laughs> she had the like mullet look yeah <laughs> like what do you call it yeah like she didn't care she was so yeah the hair so, so she, I took her to like chemo and I'm like, Jenny, and I called our, our really good friend, Matt, shout out to Matt Grabinski. I called him up. He lived probably like two minutes from where she was getting treatment in our hometown, a really long time family friend of ours. And I said, Hey Matt, like, are you at home? And he said, yeah. And I said, 
will you shave my sister's head? head, head? And he's like, yeah, dude, bring her on over. <laughs> so we sat in Matt's backyard and we shaved her head. But it was like, she didn't even understand that that wasn't, she, she didn't know that her hair looked a mess. You know, like she, right. she, her biggest thing was she didn't want anybody at work to know that she had cancer. She didn't Correct. want anybody at work to know that she was sick. And so that was the hardest day for me because I was like, everybody knows now. Like her, right. your privacy is gone, Jenny. Right. And because she worked with the people living with disability and a, dis- a disabled population, that's all they were going to talk about. Cause it's like, right. Jenny has no hair. Why doesn't Jenny right. have hair? Like, and so I, I, it was so hard for me to see that happen to her of her walking down the street and pe- seeing people stare at her. And it's like, your privacy is gone. Like you even like, if she didn't want anybody to know she was sick, right. That she was going through treatment or anything. And and now she, there was no way for her to control that. And that was, that was a hard day for me. Yeah, that um, was hard. And we tried scarves and we had wigs. I remember Layla gave her a mm-hmm. wig and she just didn't like any of it. And one of the things during this process, because Z and I knew about her work and her job, but we never had really known like, why doesn't she want to miss a day of work? Like, is she worried about money? So we tell her like, Jenny, like if you need extra money, like we'll pay for your, you know, we'll pay for your lunch or your dinner. Like, don't worry about missing work. And she's like, no, I cannot miss work. And we're just like, geez, like what is like, I didn't understand it. We did not understand. She worked with probably the the most needed population. And so she was changing diapers and feeding them. Feeding um, the blind. Yeah. And, and this was the adult pop. It's like it's, a, it's a, it was adult an adult program. Yeah. Um, it's an adult program for people living with disabilities. And she was in the like most needed category. And there was probably about 60, um, 60 people that she cared Cared for for. daily loved loved her. her. And so the first time I was like, Jenny, it's okay. Like, cause in my head, I'm like, you change, you change people's diapers and feed them all day. Like, you don't want to break. Like you don't want, like I, you know, I was not to look down, but yeah, shame on me. I was like, don't you want to break from this? Like, well, you, I thought, <laughs> like, I thought of it. Work and do that. <laughs> I thought of it as like nursing. I'm like, nursing is hard work. Like, just mm-hmm. take a day off. off. And then Z and I had to bring her lunch or pick her up for chemo or something because she wouldn't take a day off. We would, she would like go to work, take a half day, half a day for and chemo. Then, so and we'd have we to went her up, in there yeah. one day. That's not when I. No, I'll tell you when it happened for me is when they came to visit her in the hospital. Okay. Like, well, yeah, it yeah, happened yeah. to me when I went to visit her at work and like everyone was just like so excited to meet me and talk to me. And I like all these people just kept coming up to me and then they wouldn't let her leave. And I was like, wow, like they just no, they treated is, her like she was like J-Lo. Like, yes. Imagine yes. <laughs> like you walk in a building and everyone is like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like it was like she was a superstar there. Like. I was like, oh, okay, now I get why you love going here. <laughs> yes, You're I mean, basically. It, I mean, she is loved. I mean, she is loved and she takes, and she's loved because she takes so much pride in what she does yes. and she loves her job and they love her. And it's it's honestly her family. It's, yeah. It is her family. And, you know, even, you know, for going through her treatment and the people that were there for her, I mean, it's just unbelievable how much these people loved her oh gosh yeah i mean okay so that's that's her job um, that was her job (laughs) and then about getting into about a year so that so dr sonati told us that 
she had about two years. About mm-hmm. a year into it, we really are in love with Dr. Sonati. He's so great. He's, you know, Well, and at telling, this point, she had went into remission. Yeah. She was on the Red Devil. She was on the Red Devil, which is and a chemo cocktail. She was on the Red Devil. I think that she did seven treatments of the Red Devil. and um, The max that you could do for your ma- heart. I think she had one left. I think the max is eight. But they had told us, you know, she went into remission. There was no signs of cancer, active cancer in her body, it, that she was good. And so I think that we had right. a few months of it being good, but before all that happened, Dr. Sonati yeah, so left Dr. The, the center, he left, left the Lama's center. Memorial. He was probably about a 55, 60 year old man. Sure. I want, I don't know. He, I mean, he, <laughs> I don't know. He was an older gentleman, older gentleman, but he was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. Yep. While he was treating Jenny. Mm-hmm. So we had a new oncologist to deal with, which personally I did not like. Well, it's just hard to change for anybody out there. You have your oncologist, you get comfortable. They're in charge of the treatment that's going to save your life. You know, that's right. You know, you had been working with Dr. Sonati really closely and um, yeah, the new oncologist, I really didn't spend much time with. Yeah. Just the bed, bedside manners weren't there. And so anyway, during that time, you know, for me and Z, what we're doing during this time is like, you know, we have no idea. So we're just doing all the things Jenny loves to do, taking her to Disneyland and just, you know, trying to spend, you know, as you can tell, probably like Jenny is single. She does not have a husband. Mm -hmm. Um, She lives on her own in this cute little tiny studio that she's had for like 20 years in, you know, downtown Long Beach. That she's never cleaned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. That she's doesn't dust. (laughs) And so everything is, you know, kind of, she still is on her chemo. Then mm-hmm. she has to go on to a pill form. Yeah, she went on a pill form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to say about 18 months. Hmm. You think it was about 18 months? I think it was about 18 months. Um, she starts having pain in her chest. Starts with chest pains. And so her social worker doesn't call us, just takes her into urgent care and I kind of don't remember from there. Is that the first time where Holly asked us to come into Long Beach Memorial? Into the ER? Mm-hmm. Because I remember she waited. She didn't want to scare us. She was like, oh, I'll just handle this. Well, the first time. So I remember. So I know in, it was in March of 2018. She... She had, yes, it was March 20th. Sorry, I was, I'm, I'm trying to, excuse me, listeners. I'm trying to pull out Not information, information in my, in my memory bank it's that I've stored away. It's 2020. Last year was 2019. It's 2018. So, yes, so March of 2018, Jenny's program director, Shay, lovely gentleman that I adore. It was her you know, who she worked with directly in her, at her job. He made her go to the ER because she would not go. I remember now she was, she was short. She she had shortness of breath. From the bus stop to work is like three blocks. And he said she came in and she was short of breath and he could tell something was wrong. He said that she couldn't, she couldn't breathe. So they took her into the ER and of course, um, Charlene and I rushed to the ER once we found out and, 
Um, what we found out was that she had fluids in her lungs and her resting heart rate was at about 160 or something. Yeah, crazy. crazy. Off the chart. She couldn't even like sit up. She had to lay down because if she sat up, her resting heart rate would just like fly off the yeah. charts. Yeah, she, it was. It was and, and so so we sat there and they gave us the, the options were, um, you know, she has fluid. Horrific. Horrific. Her flu, she has fluid in her lungs. And what we would need to do is. Fluid in her heart lining wasn't it it was heart fluid in, yeah it was fluid in her heart the lining in the lining of the, of the double heart. Sorry, the lining of the heart yes yes fluid and her lungs and it was lungs. also yeah it lungs. was also yeah. in her lungs and so but what that was doing the fluid was putting pressure on her heart, heart which was creating the increased um heart rate so they said that what we can do is we can um basically drain it they can start Open draining it cavity yeah they didn't do the full opening but they they were like we can insert a way of of like catheter to, to start draining yeah. it and we were like okay like let's start draining it um, they didn't really give us an option to they were just like she can't she can't have fluid in her heart yeah and, well they were looking for options but that was the option that they came came right. back to us with right and so once they did that we they definitely saw a an improvement. Her heart rate started dropping once they were able to uh, get the fluids removed. And they wanted to see how much fluid was there. And then they also wanted to see how frequent it was coming in. And so what, if they either said like it was going to continue or like what, what the options were. So there was, there were some things I think that made them take a few days for them to figure out. And then also they were like, well, we want to test all this fluid to see if it's cancerous. And so that also took a few days for those results to come back. Meanwhile, Jenny's still in ER and in at the hospital. In the and hospital, miserable because all she wants to do is all be she at wants work. to do is go back to work. She's like, "Why am I still here? <laughs> Why am I here?" And they had taken an entire gallon, gallon. of fluid. Yeah. It was unreal. And so the the beautiful part, um, you know, three months prior to this, we had lost Allison Lowell, and she was the first survivor that, you know, in the community that we had lost. And she had a great blog. And I remember she had just written about this same exact thing happening to her maybe a few months before she had passed away. And so I'm so grateful for the information that she provided on her blog, which I hope that this is what Barbell Shrubes gets to do. And I hope that this is what this podcast gets to do is give this so that the person on the other end has some peace of mind when they're going through this because I was able to read her blog and I was able to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful for Allison sharing her story with the world that um, it helped me in that day that I just didn't know what to do. And, and I didn't, and I knew that Jenny didn't know what to do. And I knew that I had to be her advocate. And so she was in the hospital. The results came back positive positive there was cancer there was in the cancer fluid. in the fluids and now you got a picture they've opened up her mm -mm. they hadn't yet they had no yeah. that was oh, the option right that was the option so I'm, then they came back and i think it was about a three-day a three-day kind of did she go process. home that, that time she, she didn't, didn't go, go home. home she was still in the hospital yeah she was still, so in, the she was still in the hospital we had to um we had to you know change her bring her clothes and we were there yeah. every day at the hospital right so they came back to us and they were like yes this is positive for cancer now, what we have to do next is what we're going to do is we're going to open up her chest cavity and we're going to let we, we've got to release the, the pressure of the, the fluid. Pressure. So we've got to release the, the, the fluid. fluid was still coming in. So they still drained a in. gallon and they had to like 
figure out how to drain more. Right. And so they were like, the best way to do this is open up her chest cavity and let it drain. And I, and so I told the doctor and I said, so you want to drain cancerous fluid to her, her chest, to her body. entire body. And you're okay with that. And he was like, well, it's stage four was his response. And I'm like, I know it's stage four. And we were like, well, is there any other option? He's like, no, you, this the, is your only this option. This is the only and option. So like, I feel like stage four is this domino effect of like one thing goes down and the next thing, that, it, it's just like yeah, this, it's just, you fix one problem and then another hole pops up and it's like a massive drought. Yeah. <laughs> and you, the walls are caving in. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's disgusting is what it is. So. Then we, we opted for that surgery. So she went and had that surgery and she was in intensive care for the next week. Yeah. She was pretty out of it for the first couple of days because yeah. I mean, it was like heart surgery. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> I mean, think I just, I, I remember there was one day where, and, and I don't really know how to explain this, um, I think it's like the only way you could really explain it to somebody is an example of like maybe if you have a family member who's like suffering from addiction or like a drug addiction, like you as the family member, like you see the behavior and you see you have to watch it. Right. But the person who's addicted, they're just kind of like living in this numbness. Mm -hmm. And like as a co-survivor, like watching sitting and watching Jenny in the chemo chair and then sitting and watching her after heart surgery and sitting and watch, like the watching, like, yes, Jenny's in it and she's dealing with it, but you're just constantly like watching, watching this. It. There was like days where I called Z and I was just like, I know it's my turn to go, but like, I can't today. I just not, I'm mm -hmm. not strong enough. Like I can't, can you go today? Like, are you strong today? And like, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have that, if I couldn't lean on Z to just be like, I couldn't go. And then our poor husbands were like, you know, and I lived a lot closer. I was in mm -hmm. Westminster, which is like 15 minutes and Z's all the way in Costa Mesa. And I'm sure there was many times where Z was like, geez, you are 15 minutes away. Like I have to drive 45 minutes in traffic. <laughs> like, but she never did. She was just like, I'm doing it. I'll be, I'll be there, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then Holly, you know, Holly lived really close to the hospital, yeah. her social worker. And she was, oh, I mean, this woman, not even a family member, never was ever in her job description to do what she did for Jenny. She did so many illegal things. Sorry, Holly, I just called you out. <laughs> like as a like social the worker, that she, she just did because she's a human being. Like, and yes. she loved Jenny. Yes. She net like her whenever she was there, it wasn't as her duty as her social worker. It was her duty as her friend. Yeah, and I felt that. I knew yeah. that every time she was showing up for Jenny, when it was outside of her job scope, it was because. That was her friend, yeah. you know, and that was really, really special. And my heart goes out to social workers that are put in these situations that go beyond because yeah. at the end of the day, like they're people, like yeah. you're caring for people. So, and we were a team and she knew that Z and I had a young boy, young boys at home and husbands and Holly was a single woman and her mm -hmm. kids were grown. So she was like, Hey, I don't have a husband and I don't have, you know, my kids are grown and out of the house and her daughter would even come and help, you know, yeah. her older adult daughter. And so, you know, I think that she also told us. Well, not, I didn't think, I don't think she did. She told us that how special we were because she said a lot of families um, abandon adults with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And she's like, the fact that you guys showed up even more when she was sick, she said, when, <clears throat> when the adults with disabilities get sick and they're on their deathbed or they're going through surgery or they're going through anything, she's like, 
everyone disappears. There's nobody to be found. Right. Um, and so I think that she, she really admired that about our family, you know, so yeah. um, kudos to Holly. Yeah, she's amazing. definitely. So then the next week in the hospital was really rough. Mm-hmm. Jenny was very miserable. I literally think she tried to escape the hospital a couple times. <laughs> she like, actually did. <laughs> she left without us there and got the doctors to sign her to out. To sign her out. So she woke up from surgery with a massive headache. Massive, massive headache. Um, every single day she was telling me that she had a headache. And every time I visited her, I was like, I'm going to rub your head. Like that's, drink, And we were like, drink more drink water. Because the doctor's like, oh, she's probably dehydrated, you know. And well, no, they were like, here's morphine. And they just yeah. kept filling her up yeah. with morphine. They did and, that too, yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I, w- I have a background in massage therapy. And I just was like, well, I'll massage you. Like if you have, if you're, if you have a headache, touch, I know helps me. So I'd spend most of my time with her in massaging her in the ICU. And one weekend, I think that you, one day, Charlie and I both didn't show up. And I think we thought Holly was going to be there. Like one day, not the three of us were not to be found. And she convinced the doctor to release her from the hospital. Mm -hmm. So imagine in Jenny's mind, she thinks she's fine. But again, when I tell you that you had to treat Jenny as if it was a kid with cancer, a kid would be like, I'm fine. I want to get out of the hospital bed and go home and play my video games, like play with my iPad. Jenny literally convinced the medical team there that she was fine. And they released her um, probably five days after her heart surgery. Yes. And so we yeah. found this out and we were like rushed to her house and we're just like, you're okay. Like, why did you leave? And she's like, I'm fine. I'm going to go back to work. And I'm like, you're not fine. And yes. so I remember that week I had to leave and I actually, um, it was the week that I got to be on the CrossFit podcast. And so it was a really difficult trip for me because as much as I wanted to be there and I knew that the podcast was going to be a really important, um, opportunity for our work at Barbell Shaboobs, it was like, I was dealing with this at back home and not dealing with this, but I was in the middle of this back home and it was so hard making that decision to do the work I do in breast cancer, but then not be right next to my sister that was ultimately dying from breast cancer. It was like a, a really big mind fuck for me. I think it was just ultimately hard, even from the day she was diagnosed and going through this two years with her and working in breast cancer and our own sister Mm -hmm. getting stage four and us not, you know, being more proactive for her, you know, Sorry, I'm doing ice. The entire thing. <laughs> Our sound engineer is looking at me all green. No ice, no ice. It's the way I'm dealing with my nerves right now. So she she goes home. So she goes home. Yes, she went home. And it was just all downhill from there. Yeah, I and think I remember she I stayed in the hospital. I remember I called in because she had an appointment with her oncologist. Again, still had this massive headache yeah, every single day since she woke up from the surgery. Uh, mind you, stage four breast cancer, obviously they opened up her chest cavity, rapidly spread it through her body. And her oncologist recommended her to put Bengay on her neck for the pain. Yes. I will never forget that. And I'm so bummed that I, like I was on FaceTime and I was driving <laughs> while, while this appointment was going down and I couldn't really hear what was happening, but I wish I was in that room because I would have probably left right away. I was in the room and I was, you know, I was so angry. I, I just never liked this oncologist. She mm-hmm. just really rubbed me the wrong way. And I think she just was one of those people that did treat 
Jenny different. There was just those people who yeah. just treated Jenny different. And, you know, she wasn't going to treat her any different because she had cancer. But now looking back, I'm kind of glad the way everything happened. Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think 100%. if they would have done a head scan back then, they would have. There's so many no. other things that would have happened. So I'm just kind of glad that she said Bengay. And then she went home and used Bengay. And <laughs> then we basically, like, so from then on, for the next two weeks, Jenny just, it, just everything, Jen, like Jenny was just disappeared. Yeah, she was not able to go to the bathroom. Yeah, she we, was in diapers. We had to put her in diapers. She, and thank she, goodness to Charlene, like, I I was out of, out of town for, you know, a not a majority of this time, but there was a good week that I was out of town and... Charlene was dealing it with it with it at the the hardest stages and and I think that I was I was even like on a family vacation and I was like um, I never go on vacation and it was like a two day really quick trip up to Utah and I was like well I, I you know I had this planned I think Cashy was like on spring break or something and um, sure you know Charlene was in contact with us and you know Jenny had lost about thirty pounds since mm-hmm. the day of four weeks prior when she went to the ER um, right. you know we're we're talking the this, everything that we just told you is a four week time period. Yeah. And so I flew back that Sunday and I talked to Charlene earlier that day and I just said, you know what, you need to, you need to call 911 and like, this is beyond our care. I know that we tried to get her into a hospice, hospice and they said she didn't qualify or, you know, I know that Holly was working on that. And, and I just told Charlene, I said, you need to call like 911 and get her to the ER. We need to get her admitted because this is so beyond our care that like, I don't know what to do. And so, yeah. And it was, you know, I mean, I leaned a lot on my faith and how everything happened within like two hours. Um, because I had left, I'll never forget this. I had to go Christina Ballard, um, had extra diapers. And I was like, Christina, I need to like go pick up those diapers. And she lived close to Jenny. I was like, I need more diapers. And by the time I left, I had that phone call with you and I didn't want to like kind of over, you know, I didn't want you to come rush or come home. So I didn't, I was kind of like just telling you the bare minimum, like it's bad. And so I went to Christina's to get those diapers and then went back to Jenny. And it was like, you know, the situation and just worse. So That's right away I called 911. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get her in my car. There's just no way. And the fire department comes and it's a guy I went to high school with as a captain. And he's like, Charlene. And I was just like, take her to Long Beach Memorial, like get her in there. I don't want her in the wait, like get her in there. He's like, you got it. So by the time I followed them, got to Long Beach Memorial, I walk in Long Beach Memorial and I'm like, where's Jenny Dean? The lady who's the head RN and head nurse there is my son's best friend's mom. So she's there. Um, and she's like, oh, I knew Jenny because she had already seen Jenny a couple weeks ago. She's like, I knew it was Jenny, so I have her right. So the, Jenny was she like, like set up. Yeah, again, J-Lo. It was like Jenny from the block, you know? <laughs> Jenny from J-Lo. the block. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was like, thank goodness, because I don't know. We had taken her to ER before, and I think it took like 12 hours. So she went right in. And, and at this point, like, we were exhausted. Yeah, Like we four were, weeks of every day in the hospital, like Charlene caring for her almost 24 hours a day like we were tired so I think that that was such a blessing for yeah for you to have almost like angels show up that day yeah it's, it's definitely and it's, it's really what's really interesting interesting to me is how different Z and I grieved because mm-hmm. Z had 
a tremendous harder grieving period than I did. And I don't know if it's because I maybe changed a little more diapers. <laughs> you know, like I I was so like at peace. And like I said, I was leaning on my faith and I was just like, you know, there was days where I was like, God, man, just take her. She's so miserable. And she's been given so much crap her whole life. You give her spinal meningitis, you give her seropalsy, like now she has breast cancer. Like she deserves to be in heaven with all her koalas. <laughs> you know, she just, I, my grieving was different by the time she took her last breath, man. I was just like, thank God, you know, thank God she does not have to suffer one more minute in your Yours was different, you know, so by the time we got to the hospital and, you know, ER and she's got a room, I think you I was just landed. I just landed. You just landed and you called me and she, I was like, wasn't she like, where's Z? Yeah. She, she, <laughs> the entire time though, that was the only thing she was like, have you called Z? And she's like, she's not answering her or she's not replying to your text. Get my phone. She'll answer my phone. And so Z gets there probably about an hour hour later yeah and I just flew in so I just flew in, in so I went right from the airport to the ER um and uh she was just so in so much pain at that point um she couldn't really articulate like a lot like she probably didn't say all of that I'm sure you're just she was she, was, she so they had so the the head of the ER that night came to us and he's like, your sister's in critical condition. Like, we'll make sure that she's going to get admitted. Because we were so concerned about that. We were like, we can't take her home. Like, I was scared to care for her. And um, he kind of gave us that reassurance of, hey, this is this is serious and we'll admit her tonight. But there were some steps that they had to go through to admit her into the hospital that night. And one of them was they had to bring out the family medicine doctors to come and do an evaluation. It's like they had to get like an approval from each department head or something. Mm. I don't know. I don't know the politics of hospitals. Yeah, and we had been trying to get her in hospice for about two weeks. Mm -hmm. And because she didn't pass this test or that test, test, I mean, it's a yeah. process. So they had to do all kinds of things before they admitted her that night. So I remember the family medicine doctors came in, um, little Doogie Housers. They were like 22. And uh, they started asking her questions of like, what's your name? And she didn't respond. And they're like, what day is it? And she didn't respond. And then she's like, when's your birthday? And Jenny was like, May 31st. May 30th. Oh, yeah, May 31st. <laughs> May 31st. May 31st. Right May 31st. I was like, of course. Of course. She loved, loved her birthday. Her birthday. <laughs> and it was April 22nd. So her it's birthday coming was coming up. And we were talking about and it. She was she like, wanted to go to Disneyland. All these things she wanted to do. <laughs> and so, um, so they left. And they wanted to do a scan on her chest where they had done the surgery to make sure everything was intact. And I was like, can you guys, like, she has a headache still. She's had a headache for four weeks. Can you guys do a scan on her brain? And they, I think you said your neck or your her head. Or, no, you had taken her in a week before yeah, to do a scan and, on the neck. And they said that she was cleared. So yeah, a week before yeah, this, you guys, yeah, Charlene had taken right. her in and they scanned her neck and they said that everything was, was clear. So... They were like, but before we do any of that, we need to take a pregnancy test. I was like, oh, she's yeah. not pregnant, guys. Like, what is the holdup? That's right. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's just suffering there, like moaning and groaning. Like, she's just in, you could just tell she was in so much pain. So 
there's a point in the night where they they were they took her out to do that scan and do that test and then they brought her back in and I was like I was just over there like stroking her head again just giving her touch trying to relieve some of her pain that she had felt in her head and she gave me this look that was like I knew at the time that she did this that it was something like I couldn't I felt something and she rolled her eyes back and kind of like just took this really deep breath and exhaled. And then the, the nurse came in and kind of moved me out of the way. And she's like, I'm going to give her, come give her some more morphine. And I was, I stepped aside and I like went to wash my hands and the nurse was like, Jenny. And she like starts snapping her fingers and she's like, Jenny, Jenny. And she's clapping and she's like shaking her head and she calls code blue. And the entire, I felt like the entire ER floor came rushing into Jenny's room. Little, it wasn't even a room. It was like a little section at the hospital and moved you and I completely out of the way and started trying to resuscitate her heart. Cause I'm assuming she, she had no sign of life at that point. And I just remember the social worker coming to us like right away. And he's like, do you understand what's happening right now? And I'm like, Really? <laughs> um, and then they, and I'm going to add here, like I don't handle situations like someone is bleeding or falls. Like I am the worst person. Like Z's calm, cool, gets a bandaid, cleans it up. Like, and I am calm and cool in this situation. Mm-hmm. And Z is on the floor a complete mess. It was like roles reversed and it was like, could not get Z to say one word or talk or like she, I don't know if it kind of just hit you. What, what, what was happening? Well, I, I, at that point I knew that that thing I felt was her last breath at that point. Like that's when I realized that I was like, I didn't know I was going to the hospital that night to watch my sister die. Right. And I think that that's what finally registered was that the thing that we kept asking and kept prepping for right. was there. there. And, and like was, all we wanted was more time. Yeah. Yeah. So they um, took her to, they were able to get her heart to work again. And they, all I remember, she was just gone. <laughs> like she just looked different. Like I remember just being like, she just it, like her whole face changed. Like I, I, to me, it was like peaceful. It was like, she, you know, cause before she was kind of like tensing her face cause mm-hmm. she was in pain and yeah. it was like, her face was like, like calm she didn't feel the pain. and yeah. But so, they had taken her like yeah. she was gone. She was gone. She was gone. So now we're left behind not knowing what's going on. We're in her room and it's like two in the morning mm-hmm. and we text Holly and in 15 minutes, the woman is there with us Yeah, at like two 30 in the morning or whatever. Um, and they finally, where, where they took her was they were doing a scan on her brain. brain. Finally, which they probably should have done the very first time she said she had a headache six weeks or four, <laughs> four weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. And when they did get the, I think it took about four hours to get the results mm-hmm. back. And we're kind of just sitting there in her room, like her heart was going, but they, her, the brain wave, I think they were at that point, they hooked well, her up they, to the brain well, wave. Well, they did the test. And then after the test, um, they were like, we're going to put her in ICU. So remember they, they moved her up, moved her up to yeah. ICU. Yeah. Um, and when the results came back, 
uh, was that her brain was hemorrhaging and she had seven lesions in her brain. Yeah, so those headaches for the four weeks was her brain hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. And she was in ICU and I remember it was about six in the morning and I was like, I'm going to go take Cashy to school. Like almost like I needed a break and I needed to leave. And you you were like, I'm going to go take William as well. And we both left. We both left. Yeah. And when we got back, the nurse had told us that at 7 a.m. She, they, she had lost all brain function. Yeah. And um, Charlene and I were both her power of attorney. And so we had to make the decision that day of, um, you know, that, that life decision of removing her from life support. And that sucked. Yeah, that sucked. And I think it was it was a little easier on me than than you. <laughs> you know, it just uh, I was it was definitely a different place. I was just kind of like like I said, it was weird. Like I know I'm the big sister. I'm supposed to have them work together. And I finally I did that day. I was like, hey, <laughs> let's get everyone here. So we made sure we called everyone at her work. I was like, let's just spend this whole day of everyone coming and say goodbye before we before let her we go. And it was go. so special because. Well, and that was a day that I realized why she loved her job. Like right. all of her friends came and they were just the Everybody. sweetest, like full of life just they were coming they were like come on Jenny like when are you coming back like we miss you we miss talking to you we miss joking with you and um it was so wonderful to see all the people that loved her yeah her boss Harry who's oh, kind of like the godfather Amazing. there <laughs> and he you know you could see he every, you know he leads by example so that's why everyone is such an, a great employee and a great friend yeah. and how it really is a family there but he showed up with his team and all the leaders there and I mean, her room was just full and packed and so happy that her other, you know, half sister, they have the same mom, Stephanie, got to come into town Mm -hmm. with her daughter. And it was, uh, it was the hardest, happiest day ever. It was definitely hard for me. I wouldn't. Yeah. The only thing that made me happy was when Nicole brought me food. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing I, I definitely learned is like when somebody is going through something that you don't know how to help, like ask them if they're hungry. Yes. Food. food. I, I loved, I got this one text from a friend cause we were waiting to test, like post anything or say anything. But mm-hmm. I remember someone texted me and they just said like, it was short and sweet. And then at the end it said, don't text me back. Like mm-hmm. just, you know, like just, just don't text just me wanted, back. Yeah. Just like, here's a text, like don't text me back. Like, and I was just like, Oh, thank God. Cause I don't want to say, Oh, thank you. Or mm-hmm. yes. Or, you know, you just don't want to reply to anybody or you don't want to take phone calls. You kind of just want to sit in your grief a little bit. And mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I just did not want to leave her side, Yeah, you know, and we did a, a ceremony, a little prayer right before yeah, the um, pastor came before up before we let and, her go. And, and they told us, they were like, once you remove her from life support, you know, it could take 10 minutes. It could take, you know, so we weren't, we didn't know how long it was going to take once we removed her from life support. And, um, it didn't take long. No. Um, and then the rest of the day was the rest of the evening. Um, you know, everybody cleared out and you, myself and Ceci stayed behind and Holly. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's kind of weird. You like leave. (laughs) Like you leave that night a completely different person. Yeah. For sure. I think 
like of all the people who've taught me so much, Jenny left a, a legacy. You know, sometimes I'm like, wow, Char, what's your legacy? Because Jenny <laughs> sure had one. <laughs> J-Lo. Yeah. No, but what yeah, the, there like, was something really special that evening. It was like we had to do the paperwork and everything, which was so hard. And um, they were they wanted to be able to. She always wanted to be an organ donor. You know, Jenny was so giving and loving. And <laughs> the when the um, what are they called? The pe- people who took her body. Uh, I don't know, but she could only donate one thing. Her and leg. it was her cornea of her eye. Yeah. It was the only thing that didn't have cancer. And it was so amazing because she had helped so many blind people. And it's like, <laughs> once again, Jenny's helping oh, another, another blind, blind person. person. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's crazy how, like, I think that you, you know, that day's going to happen. And you can kind of, you get a, you get a, uh, you get a diagnosis like that. So, you know, that's, I mean, death isn't an inevitable. It's the only thing that we all have in common as human beings. We're all going to die. And, um, I had never really been that close to death. I'd never dealt with it at, at that level or at that capacity and, what I didn't know about it was for the people that are responsible that are that are that close is like what the next day looks like. Like you don't even get a chance to grieve because you're dealing with the death and the business of the death. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember waking up and I actually remember I got a call. I remember it was at one twenty six in the morning and it was the organ donor people and they wanted to do the survey on Jenny. And, um, and so the survey took about a half hour and I was like, can I do it in the morning? They were like, yeah, it just needs to be done within 20 hours because that's how much time we have to preserve any, any organs. And I said, okay, like, can I call you in the morning? And, um, and I remember we, the next day we had to go in and tell her community at her job that she had passed because they didn't know that. Um, and then I, I remember telling Charlene, I was like, we're only going to focus on three things a day. Yes. Thank goodness. For and that. so me, Holly and Charlene, we were a little team. And the first thing that we focused on, I said, you know, let's get this survey done. We, no, that had already been done. I was like, let's tell her their, her job. And then we had to go and, um, go to the burial services and get her ashes <sighs> ready or purchase her well we had to have whatever. her yeah yeah <laughs> everything we, like, call it the burial like, all the paperwork um the all the paperwork and, and then we had to clean her apartment <laughs> well we so, had to like there's so many things that like thank goodness i was taking care of her because i had a key because i think about all these things oh, like yeah. i had her cell phone like i have like all the different i i had her atm pin because I had to go get money for her. Like I had all these things, but I didn't think of getting them. I just had had them. Like I always think like I always email my daughter before I get on a flight. I'm like, here's the pin code for my ATM, all my jewelry. Cause my husband and son are not going to know these things. Like my jewelry is in, not that I have anything worthy, but like I have a purple ring that I love. It's $20 ring, but your daughter would want to know about. Yeah. And I'm like, this code's in here. This email's in there. Like, you know, these things that, you know, Jenny was just a single person and, you know, and we tried to have a few conversations with her of like, 
you know, what what would you prefer? Like, and you know, and she, she was just like she was she like, wasn't oh. receptive to it. Yeah, she was like, That's, I'm gonna be fine, you guys. Don't worry. So I, so we did. So we had those three things, and I remember doing the little survey for the organ donor, and he was like, Was Jenny? When was the last time like Jenny had sex or something? Like they were asking really intimate questions, and I'm like, Jenny didn't have sex. Like, yeah, we, no way. We, we totally I thought naive. we never. She had never had sex in her life. I thought yeah, she was, I was a virgin. Like, no way. Um, and then by the time we got to her apartment, like it was kind of we were already tired by that time, and I was like, let's just take her trash out and clean out the fridge. Like, let's yeah. just start there. And um, I found a condom at the bottom of her trash can. <laughs> I and I like, thought Z was I like, lied on I, the organ <laughs> survey. And I thought Z was like kidding with me. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, showed me in the trash. I was like, oh my. Come to find out she did have a boyfriend or something. Yeah, you know? something. Yeah. I don't know. I was checking out everyone at her work. Like the yeah. last time I went there, I was like, who is it? Who that is guy it? or that guy? She's so sneaky. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And that cleaning out her apartment was was tough it was it was it was you know there was times where it was just like we we're just like laughing so hard and other times that we we're just like crying so hard it was just the things we would find and you know making fun of her just I think that was like the best grieving part for me because it was really like letting go of you know what we wanted to keep all her yeah. koala stuff and all her memories and yeah, and then we celebrated then, her her life on her birthday on yeah. May 31st since those were her last words if we felt that we could do her the most honor in celebrating her life on that day. And so all of her friends from work, we did a little celebration at her work and then we went out um, to the pier in Long Beach. They would do walks every Wednesday. And so she had like a walking crew and um, we had gotten flowers and we had some of her ashes and... We tossed them all over the pier and a seal swam through them. Do you remember yeah, seeing the so seal? Awesome. Yeah, it was beautiful. I was like, I've grown up in Long Beach and I've never seen a seal off the pier. Yeah. Like that's spooky. And I was like, I see you, girl. <laughs> yeah. I see you. <laughs> she, she was there. She was there. So it'll be two years here yeah. coming up in two months. Yeah. And, uh, we started a little tradition where we go to the pier on her, on her birthday. birthday. Yeah. So if anybody Continue wants to, to join us on May 31st Long to Beach celebrate, pier. go to your own pier. I don't care. On May yeah. 31st, go place a rose it's or usually flower. Memorial Day weekend. So maybe you're at a pier already. You're at a pier. <laughs> just throw, toss one for Jenny. Um, that's the day that we celebrate her life. I celebrate it every day. How do you celebrate Jenny's life every day? I have her little koala in my mm -hmm. kitchen and I use her little teacup. Yeah, I have her teacup. And yeah. actually I try to play Michael Jackson. She loved Michael Jackson. So I try to play Mac Michael Jackson as much as possible. Mm. How do you celebrate? Showing up here every day. <laughs> Fight the good fight. Fighting the good fight. So I'm going to ask my last question to you. Okay. That was a very heavy podcast for me. So I'm going to lighten the mood up. Thank you. And first, thank you for sharing and thank, thank you for your you. time. And thank you for all you do for this amazing organization and how many uh, lives you, you have a like legacy and all the lives you touch. So thank you. Mm, thank you. Well, I have an amazing team that helps me do that. So it's not a solo project for sure. Um, what 
has breast cancer taught you most? What has been your biggest lesson? To go to Disneyland more. (laughs) (laughs) To live life. Go to the happiest places on earth. Mm -hmm. And uh, family, you know, that's the number one thing. Like Jenny was our family and those moments when, you know, you're too tired or you'd rather spend a Sunday just doing laundry and being lazy and someone wants to meet up and do it, you know, have them over, spend that extra hour to, because I know those were the times that Jenny, like, I mean, we, we hear it all the time. Our friends would be like, oh my God, you're the sisters. We hear about you all the time. <laughs> you're the sisters. Or we're like, yes, we're the sisters. <laughs> you know, so just uh, spending as much time as you can with your family. Yeah. Because you never know when you may not have that extra hour to. Mm, that's for sure. Is there anything else you want to share? No. No. Thank you so much for having me. Well, of course. And well, a shout out to all those co-survivors or whatever you want to in the future yeah, call them. Co- but I don't know because, you know, we don't have any, like Jenny's not surviving anymore. So I don't really know what to call myself anymore. We'll have to come up with a new name. We'll have to come up with something. Yeah. If but anybody real has shout any ideas. out to co-survivors. You guys do not get enough credit and lean on somebody. Talk to somebody because like Z and I had each other. And if we went and I don't know. There was only, we could only understand it. Like our husbands couldn't understand it. They would mm-hmm. just help and support us and take care of the kids and cook and do all that. But, you know, you need to be heard too and you need support. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap for today. Um, thanks for tuning in. Sorry, this one was heavy. I gave a disclaimer at the beginning and we'll be back bringing on more survivors or this is not going to turn into a co-survivor show i promise Uh, but i do think that these stories need to be in this time capsule and it was really important to charlene and i that jenny's story is out there in the world and that we get to share it i think that when you share your story it's a part of the healing process so thank you all for listening in thank you for allowing charlene and i to continue to heal uh, from one of the greatest losses of our life have a great one